Right, uh, Acts chapter 4. Um, let's look at it uh, together. Uh, I don't know whether you're, uh, you ever watch Have I Got News For You. Uh, it's one of uh, my favourite guilty pleasures. Uh, they have a, uh, a sort of news quiz, um, uh, uh, fairly edgy humour uh, on the, the week's news. And one of the, my favourite bits of it uh, is the odd one out quiz. Uh, they put four pictures on the screen. Uh, usually involving at least one animal and three people from, uh, who are in the news from that week. And they say to the, the contestants, or basically the, the, the stand-up comedians sitting down, uh, which is the odd one out? And they find some humor, humorous reason uh, to pick one of them. I, I wonder if I were to ask you, uh, I'm not going to, but I wonder if I were to ask you about uh, which of these is the odd one out, uh, which one you'd pick. We're talking, we're sort of preparing for our... Uh, count me in season where we um, help one another, encourage one another to think about what it looks like and feels like and is to belong to all souls and how we look at what God's doing here and say, count me in to what God's going to be doing in the coming year. And in doing so, we talk about wanting to grow in our faith, finding ways of doing that, not getting stuck about what it means to serve as part of a team, uh, to give financially as much as we're able uh, and to tell the good news of Jesus Christ in words and in actions. My guess is that the odd one out for most of us would be the giving bit. Uh, It's fairly easy, uh, or at least it feels fairly comfortable in a church context, to talk about growing faith, uh, serving as part of a team, telling the good news of Jesus. Uh, But for lots of different reasons, talking about giving money is the awkward one. It's awkward partly because so many church leaders over so many years in so many different contexts have got it cataclysmically wrong. Uh, For some church leaders in different parts of the world and here, uh, money has become something that you wear as a badge of pride that signifies that God has blessed you because you're good or have achieved or have simply worked hard. For some church leaders, money is the thing that you can tell people what to do with and you can tell them on behalf of the Lord where they ought to place it and what they ought to do with it. For others, it's simply the sort of thing that you don't talk about in public. It's something private, even more private than religion. Money comes even further uh, towards the core of what we keep hidden and to ourselves. So it makes sense, actually, as we spend these few weeks thinking about what it looks like in Scripture to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as last week we thought particularly about what it um, was for those very first disciples of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 to commit to growing in their faith as learners, uh, to serving together as a team and to telling the good news of Jesus, that today we ought to have a little think at least about what the Bible has to say about money and about possessions. And the idea is to ask whether we can find a healthier relationship with what we own and what we earn and a healthier relationship with how we might give it and to whom we might give it and on what basis we might give it. It's very simple stuff. It's here. It's, um, I just want to uh, take us through these few verses in Acts and just suggest these two things of how it might shape a healthier relationship of us with our money and a healthier relationship of us with our giving. You know the context. Acts chapter 4. It's the very early days of the Christian church. God, uh, in his grace and graciousness, has poured out Uh, his spirit uh, on his people. They've gone from being a ragtag, terrified uh, bunch of friends uh, huddled in an upper room uh, to being those who are beginning to turn Jerusalem upside down uh, and beginning to make an impact on the wider world. 
Uh, they've gone from those who are uh, terrified of putting their heads above the parapet to those who are standing uh, in the, on the street corners who are preaching to great crowds and through whom people are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And into that, both in Acts chapter 2 and here in Acts chapter 4, um, we think it's probably Luke writing this, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is like Luke part 2. Luke paints this incredible picture. I mean, just a sketch, really, an outline of what it looked like and felt like to be the people of God together at that time. And he's immensely practical. He speaks in both cases, in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4, of how God's people care for each other and of how they tell the good news. And I'll suggest that the first thing, that maybe the most important thing that we hear in his words, um, here in verse 32, is a healthier way of relating to what we've earned and what we own. So listen to what it says. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now, listen, we shouldn't think for one moment that this is somehow a sort of Marxist propaganda document that says there should be no such thing as private property. Um, Even just a few verses later, um, in uh, verse 4 of chapter 5, when Peter is taking on Ananias and Sapphira, who've lied blatantly to, to God about what they have, he, in verse 4, he doesn't say, this land wasn't yours in the first place. What he says to them is, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? The, the, the Bible doesn't have a problem with owning stuff, with earning stuff. It actually doesn't have a problem with wealth either. There are plenty of wealthy, godly people in Scripture. What it has an issue with is the question we are meant to ask about what we own and earn. See, I think where it goes wrong is that we ask the why question, whereas we should be asking the what question. The why question that we end up asking is, why do I have what I have or not have what I don't have? Why? Either, on the one hand, uh, why am I rich? And we ask that effectively by... um, looking at what we have and going, I've earned that. I've worked hard for that. I deserve that. I am somehow better because of it. I am better and have therefore acquired it. I suspect none of us here would articulate that, and I hope maybe all of us would look at that and cringe at the very thought. But it creeps in. It keeps us safe. It makes us feel somehow a little bit secure. I've done this. I should feel glad of it. Or when we look at what we don't have, we compare ourselves with other people and we think, why don't I have what they've got? Why don't I have the same financial security they have? Why don't I uh, have the car that they have or the status and the job that they have? Why? The thing is that the why question leads us either to pride or discontent. And both are things that the Bible warns us against. The dangers of pride and the dangers of discontentment, both of them eat away at us from the inside like an acid. Instead, the Bible suggests we should ask the question, what? What's it for? What's it for? What's God given these things to me for? I think that's what is meant by this thing of them saying that none of them claimed any of his possessions was his own. They all had this sense of being stewards of a gift. Now, they wouldn't have had banks in those days, but the equivalent for us would be looking at our bank balance and saying, what's this been given to me for? 
looking at the relative luxury we have in comparison with a world where most of the population of our planet would look on us with sheer amazement at what we take for granted. And we say, well, what's it for? What's God given this to me as steward to look after for? I guess it would be a child given some money to go to the shops, looking at this £10 note that they've got to go and buy some you know, beans and bread for tea, looking at it and going, huh, I've done pretty well. This is, you know, I've earned this. I've been given it. I've earned the, the trust to go off with. I'm going to put it in my pocket. And they forget entirely what it was they were given it for. Whereas actually they've been given it as a steward to go and buy something that's needed. It's got a job to do. Money and possessions in the Bible are, are spoken of really practically. They're given to us as gifts Yes, a sign of God's blessing. That's not the same as a sign of God's approval, by the way, in Scripture. Blessing and approval are not the same things. God blesses all sorts of people that he doesn't approve of in Scripture. It happens again and again and again. But when God blesses, he does it for a purpose. There's a what behind it. What is my responsibility with what I have? And that leads us to the other half of what I think this has to teach us and what the New Testament as a whole has to say about uh, wealth. And that is to ask the question, well, if I'm supposed to be asking what is this for, then I need to find out, well, what are the sorts of things that God does give to me uh, for me to give away? What might be an appropriate thing for me to give to? What's it for? Well, here, it's very obvious. God's people felt that it wasn't about an institution. Now, we've got to be careful with this, haven't we? The more that All Souls develops as a church, the more it develops and has to develop simply to survive as an organisation, as an institution, as a thing. So we have gone from about two years ago not having a policy in sight to having at last count 15 policies. You can imagine the joy that that brings to all of us, uh, especially to poor Krista who ends up writing most of them. Um, It's simply the low point of any given week when a new policy needs written. We have to have them. We have to have health and safety policies and safeguarding policies, financial management policies, investment policies, you name it. We have a policy for it. We have to. We're an organisation. We're a charity. We are answerable uh, to the law and to the Charity Commission and to the PCC and to the members of the church. That's right. We have to have structures. We have rotors. We have accounts. We have staff. We have HR. We have health and safety. God bless it. We have all sorts of things that make us an organisation, an institution. But there is nothing in scripture that says that even the church as an institution is a worthy recipient of money simply to keep it going. That's not why we give, to keep an institution going. And this is a great reminder of this because there was no institution to keep going back in Acts chapter 4. There was no institution. There were no buildings. There was no staff. There was no mission plan, mission action plan. There was no vision statement. There were no policies, no PCC. What there was was the people of God finding a shape as they related to one another, finding a mission and a purpose as they worked through what it meant to live out and to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, and using their possessions, what they had to bless what God was doing amongst them. And the first place that they started, and the the first half of what I want to say in terms of what's worth us giving to, is that they saw the needs of others, 
and they worked and gave to alleviate those needs. Throughout scripture, there is an assumption that we will give to what I described at the beginning of the service as those who in society terms are the lost and the last and the least, that we will work for the alleviation of suffering, that we will work for justice, for a right shape to society, and for those that we will never meet overseas. Uh, It's consistent, a thread that runs from the beginning of the Bible to the end, that one of the things that we have to answer when we say, what have I been given this relative wealth for? The answer is partly to say, to make a difference to other people's lives. So we find it here. With great power, they spoke the good news, but in verse 34 it says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I don't need to labour that point. It's so obvious. But we need to just, I guess, keep on being reminded both of the incredible security that most of us have and of this incredible gift we have to give. Not all of us, not all the time, but most of the time. But there is a second thing. And this second thing is there in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. As you work through Acts, what you find is that it's not just or only about alleviating need. It's about extending the kingdom. So you'll find Paul writing um, in his letters about uh, the worker worthy of his hire. There were clearly some members of the early Christian church who, uh, whose um, daily provision was made by the extended community so that they were released for church planting, for preaching, for pastoring. They did have strategy. They did have a, a mission. They did start to form churches. They did start to give to one another as churches, as a church over here that had more gave to a church over here that had less. It seems to me that this other thing that we should use as a yardstick for what we give and how we give is simply this, that we give to make possible the extension of God's kingdom so that as many as possible can know Jesus for themselves. Now, that can sometimes mean giving uh, uh, to the work of a church in the life of all souls. It can mean giving to work that's abroad in other parts of the world that can't pay for their own uh, staff, that can't pay for their own buildings or for their own outreach But we see these two threads running through scripture. We give to those who are in need. We give for the extension of God's kingdom. It's about having a healthy relationship with what we have. Seeing ourselves not as uh, somehow uh, the benefits simply of our own hard work or the benefits simply of being good or better people, but actually the recipients of grace, of blessing. And of then asking the question, well, what do I have this for? What's it for? It's for those who need it, and it's for the extension of God's kingdom. Now, when it comes to count me in, and you say to me, well, Richard, you're asking me to give to all souls. What does that mean? There's a lot of me just wants to say to you, well, that's between you and God. I really don't believe it stands to vicars to tell other people what they should give and to who. I do want to say that I do think that it's not just about what we give to a church, even our own church. There will be many good reasons to give to people like Tear Fund or to the British Red Cross or to Oxfam or uh, to a particular missionary that we know or a particular organisation. God will lay on our hearts particular things, particular people that he's saying to us, that's what I've given you this for. We just mustn't miss it. 
But in terms of all souls, as I look ahead to the coming year, well, I want to, I want to very quickly just name three things. Maybe one of them will particularly connect with you. I hope all of them measure up to this yardstick, this pair of yardsticks of alleviating need, serving those who have less, and of spreading the kingdom. The first um, is that uh, we want to go on uh, making uh, a difference um, through um, supporting those who are in other parts of the world who simply could not afford to do what they're doing by themselves. I had an email just a couple of days ago from Joshua Pondo, our friend in Kenya, who's an ordained minister in the Anglican Church there, uh, who works um, on, uh, well, has worked for years on no salary at all. Uh, recently has just started getting a tiny stipend uh, from the church in Kenya, uh, who he, with his wife and his little kid, um, have taken on um, scores over the years of orphans, um, even though they themselves have nothing, and have seen them through school, which costs, and have seen them into adult life. Um, and uh, through the generosity of all souls and individuals and households and all souls, he has been able to just make an incredible impact where he is working with uh, the youth and with people in their 20s and 30s, both in extending the kingdom. Thousands and thousands of people have come to faith through him, but also in individuals' lives who he has helped along the way. He's such a generous man with what he has, ridiculously, probably to a fault, generous with what he has. And we want, through Soul Connections and through our giving here, to go on supporting people like Joshua and others who can't support themselves. That's one thing. A second thing is that um, we're committed over this coming year to... Uh, employing a full-time director of youth and children's work here in All Souls. One of our greatest responsibilities as the people of God is to go on passing on the faith to the next generation, to the generations that are to come. Uh, Across All Souls, there are roughly 250 children and young people who come to church once a month or more. That's a ridiculous number. There are 80 adults who are involved in our children or our youth work. Um, We simply are at and beyond capacity for what we can sustain and resource and move forward. We don't just want to keep going what we're doing. There are so many opportunities for helping the children and especially the young people to reach out to their own friends and and make a difference where they are. But that costs. It's no small thing to take on a staff member. We don't want to take them on now and make them redundant in a year's time. That's a big commitment in the long term. And here's a third thing, a final thing, which is particularly appropriate after the interview that we had a little bit earlier on. You'll know that a few years ago we took on the Iverbridge estate as part of our parish and we took on with it uh, a pot of money that came for the most part from St Stephen's who'd done the original work there and from a group of very faithful um, uh, sacrificial households who've continued to give over those years. We've had one or two grants. We've had one very generous legacy from Jenny T, who many of you will know. And we have managed, therefore, to do... um, all this stuff that Fee and Topo were talking about, um, and to get to this point where there are people for whom this has been a real gift of life to them. But I do believe that it's time for us to step up and into what God is calling us to, to not simply rely on money that has been given in the past or will be given by others, but for, to take this on ourselves. And therefore, I'm going to be proposing that as we head into 2016, that we make it a really significant part of our long-term budget and giving. That we as a church, a relatively well-off bunch of people, should begin to make real inroads into supporting and paying for the work that is done through these community projects.
All three of those things are things that we need to take on and I suggest are worthy of our, um, as our giving and considering how we might um, use the money that God has given us. So when we come back to Acts, to Acts chapter 4, I guess there's two halves to it. One is to look in the mirror and ask the question about our relationship with money. To ask, when I look at my bank balance, at the little I have or the lot that I have, am I asking the why question or the what question? Am I asking, why me? Or why me? Or am I asking, what do I have this for? That will include looking after ourselves, supporting our family, supporting those that we know. But maybe God is calling us to give beyond. And then as we choose to give, let's use this biblical yardstick of caring for those in need and of extending the kingdom of God. And whether it's giving to all souls and or giving elsewhere, let's use what God has given us wisely and well and make a real difference in the world in which we live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're sorry when money is the awkward subject, the thing that feels out of place with the spiritual, uh, the thing that we find hard to talk about. We thank you that we live in a part of the world where we're able to take so much for granted. We thank you for, uh, for most of us, most of the time, the reliance we can place on having enough. And so we ask that you would help us to ask that question of what have we been given it for? And that you would uh, challenge and encourage us through the example of your early church to care for those in need and to extend your kingdom through word and action. And we do pray for Libby and the people of St Paul's Hounslow West and for the people of Church of the Good Shepherd. We pray for them tonight with this service that that will be a time of great joy and celebration. And we pray that as um, they hear your word and as they hear the words of encouragement from uh, some of us coming in, as it were, from outside, that they will hear the encouragement of your spirit and walk into their future together with real confidence and with a determination uh, to make a difference in their local communities and to extend your kingdom wherever they go. And so may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rest upon you, upon those whom you love, and upon his church, both now and forevermore. Amen.